Stella. Sunny Stella. Running amidst the trees. Who's there? I said as I stood in my head. And nobody answered me. This is Bruce. This is John. And this is Blix. Welcome again to the Fringeworthy Podcast, your only podcast of interdimensional exploration and adventure. If a skill is essential to the success of the adventure or the situation at hand, make sure that the players have it. Make sure that the players are able to get their hands some way on it. And don't just provide a expert NPC to do it for them because this is the story about the players. It's not the story about the NPCs. They need to be able to do the stuff that's really exciting, the things that the actual story turns on. If you're in a game system like D20 Modern where you're only supposed to be getting skill points and feats whenever you go up a level, and therefore you have all these people who don't have it, the skill that they need. Give it to them. Let them have an opportunity to get it. Let them say, oh, okay, there's a special training at IDET, or here's a device that can help you do this, or here's a book with step-by-step instructions on how to do it. Somehow give them a story award that gives them the skill that they need in order to complete it so their characters are the ones that are actually doing the thing that makes the difference in the story. If you're making brand-new characters... Feel free to add some extra skills to the skill package for Fringeworthy Advanced class. The Fringeworthy template is designed to create explorers. It's there so that if you didn't have any of those skills or those feats that are pretty much what IDET is thinking itself all about, we give them to you. But the problem with that is is that that has a tendency to create a lot of sameness amongst characters. And there's lots of situations you're going to run into out there where you're going to need skills that are not so common or not so obvious. So you should be really careful to make sure that, especially when you're making your characters together, that there's a broad selection of skills being taken. So that when these situations come up, you do have a character who can step in and do the thing that needs to be done. I'm reminded of my first Fringeworthy campaign where everyone created the characters. They created them together, about ready to go on the mission. Lo and behold, not a single person had taken a driving skill. No one knew how to drive any of the vehicles they had. They just had to give someone the driving skill and give them at the bare minimum for the system. So he knew how to drive, and that was it. And I, and I picked one person who actually was from China, I think. I figure, okay, you might know how to drive a vehicle. And I gave enough skill they could drive a stick because that's what they had. They had a Scovy and they needed to drive a stick. So he was the only person who could actually drive the vehicle. And, we, and I highly suggested to everyone else, as soon as you get some points, get the driving skill. If a skill roll needs to be made for something to happen, don't even let them make the skill roll. Just allow it to happen. 
there's nothing more derailing than a skill check needing to be made to go on with the adventure and no one can make it because it does happen. Even someone who's really good at it at a really high skill level and they'll still fumble the role sometimes. You know, you're left with, well, what do I do now? I mean, we can't go on because they didn't make this role. They didn't find the clue or they, they failed the perception check to find the secret door that leads on to the rest of the adventure. There goes your adventure. Because I know that there's going to be a temptation to say, well, you know, if they make the roll, even if they, they roll a failure and we tell them, that, oh, yeah, but you were just able to figure it out, then they're going to know that you're railroading them, okay, that you're basically saying, I want you to have this clue. The only reason to make a roll where they can fail is if something even better happens if they fail. So if you're going to do that, you need to plan for failure. You need to have that open up another possibility for them. So therefore, there is no possibility of failure. It's just a choice of roads that they'll be taking depending upon whether they succeed on the roll or not. If you're not willing to do that, if you really just want them to go in a particular direction, then don't require a roll. Just, just simply make it part of the story. Let the Wookiee win. It's kind of boring if, and also kind of frustrating if you keep on losing because the GM is so much better at you coming in with plots and so forth, and he always, his bad guys always win. Sometimes you need to let the players win. It may not be a great win. It may be one where they're spending some time in the hospital afterwards, but they won. The story is about the players, and having them lose every time will be discouraging, and they won't want to play anymore. So you got to give them wins even make a loss look like a win if you have to sometimes. There's a big difference between a fledgling character and an incompetent character. Yes. The first one allows you to really open your wings and go wherever you want to go. The second one, you're crippling them. You know, don't make that mistake. Plus, it's, it's, it's highly possible that someone made a very valid character, but for this particular adventure, their character is useless. With Friendsworthy being as open-ended as, as, as the things that can happen, you may have several players on the team who are fairly useless on an adventure. That's not the player's fault. That's the Game Master's fault because you're running the adventure and you've decided to run them on this portion of the adventure and you knew what kind of characters they had. So if you made an adventure that they're useless, then that's your fault. Now that may be part of the adventure and if it is, that's fine. If you've planned for that, but you still need to make it fun for them. There, there's a comedy adventure right there. You know, Don't make that kind of adventure for the players, and if they fail, it's deadly. Make it so that if they fail tasks, it's actually funny, because then it'll actually turn out to be an amusing adventure, not something that'll get their characters killed. You, know, you could actually generate quite a funny adventure if the characters are fumbling throughout the whole thing because you've got the soldiers doing stuff for a scientific adventure but you know if if they fail it's, it's not like they're gonna blow the world up or kill themselves it's just funny failure means it took you longer to do something than you expected or it added a complication you still did whatever it was you were trying to do but it generated again some other type of activity that's now going to complicate the adventure raise the stress level of the adventure Whatever it might be, as long as it works toward the end, toward creating an awesome adventure, that's good. Conflict is good. Failure is good as long as it serves the adventure and the player's enjoyment. If you're using D20 Modern, you can also provide levels of success. Make a roll. Depending on what they roll, they get different levels of information or different levels of success. So you may have like a DC-10 easy success, here's what you get, blah. 
DC 15, DC 20, 25, 30. So you can make a DC 40, you get this wonderful bit of information, but highly unlikely because the only way you can make a DC 40 is if you have a 20 in in a skill. You need to know your players, you know their characters, so that you know what aim at. The highest skill is a 7, no one's going to make a 30, but they'll make a 25 on occasion. During character creation, it never hurts to have a few knowledge skills. This is a game where knowledge skills are really useful. If you have a general history knowledge skill, it helps a lot if you're trying to figure out where you are and what's going on in a a situation. Uh, Specific knowledge skills, like say you have a knowledge in, say, Roman history, helps a whole heck of a lot when you try to figure out how things work on, say, Pax Romana. Maybe somebody is playing a character that's an engineer. You know, you may need to uh, figure out the dimensions of a building from within it, and that might be an engineering role. And you can use a number of other skills to compensate for the lack of a knowledge skill. For example, gather information means that you went out and talked to people and got information and brought it back. Okay, so you don't know that much about trigonometry, but gather information. Hey, I went to a guy who knows trigonometry, and he answered the question, so now I know. You see? Mm-hmm. You may want to consider more than one player character per player. The team may have a leader and maybe have a second command, but the rest of the team is sort of put together. Players may have their gun bunny character, their, their martial artists, but they may also have their face character. They may decide to use their face character in this adventure instead of their gun bunny character in that adventure. So having more than one character to work with helps too sometimes to resolve this problem of not having the right skills. But it's important, as we said before, that this actually be a player character and not just an NPC because you want your player character to be the one who's doing the awesome thing, not just somebody that's GM-controlled. There is a downside to that. If a character doesn't get used a lot, he won't be as high a level as the, the characters that do get used more often. So you may have to compensate for that by either giving him levels or something else entirely. So if a skill is essential, let the players get it for free in some way if it's missing. Let's talk a second about skill checks. Puzzles. GMs love puzzles. Players love puzzles. The problem is not everybody's good at doing puzzles. If you're playing a character who's not very smart because of the way they built their character, this character is probably not going to be very good at doing puzzles. You need to figure out some kind of skill check that can be used to defeat the puzzle. And the puzzle could be how to get certain information. It could be how to get through a door. It could be how to put together the device you need in order to win against the big bad guy. Whatever the puzzle is, you need to be able to come up with various kinds of skill checks that you can use in order to defeat it. Now, I'm not talking about where if you fail to do it, then the adventure can't continue. We already talked about that. Don't frustrate your players by saying, roll again, roll again, roll again. Not everybody understands things about nuclear physics. You get into an engineering problem, the player's not going to understand that. So a good skill check based upon the character can make up for that. And I know that there's a real temptation by GMs to say, well, role-play it out. I want to see you role-play this situation out because this is a role-playing game. And I fully support that because this is a role-playing game. However, you're not a brain surgeon. You're not a nuclear physicist. You're not a ninja. (laughs) I don't think 
So when they have to do tasks that require those things, it's not fair to the players. There's no way they're going to be able to rise to it. Outside of some generalities, you need to provide appropriate skill checks. And you need to find some way to address this situation because the players will harp on you where the player does come up with a solution to the puzzle. But as we said, his character is dumb as a brick. You need to convince him your character can't solve it. He's not that smart. If you want him to solve it, you have to find some way for him to solve it through other means than being smart. Maybe he remembers it from seeing a TV show. Maybe he remembers it from a childhood rhyme. He comes up with a solution from some oddball, off-the-wall situation, but doesn't actually imply that he's actually smart. John, John, you know the story of the Gordian Knot. Yeah. <laughs> How did Alexander the Great solve that knot? He cut in half with a sword. It had 20 or 30 ropes coming out of it. Yeah. It was the most complex knot that had been created, and it was a test of intelligence for all these different people. And Alexander comes in and says, I'll solve that in two seconds. They said, well, if you'll do that, then we'll follow you anywhere. Bam, down comes the sword. Yep, and the knot gets cut in half, and he goes on to conquer most of the known world up until, like, India. So if we were to turn it into a skill check, that would be a to-hit roll <laughs> versus a knowledge uh, mathematics or you know some kind of epic-level rope use yeah. check. You, know? yeah. you could even employ the short round phenomena where you got the big dumb hero and maybe he's a brick type and he says, fine, I'm just going to go stand in the corner while you smart guys think about this. And he leans up against the wall and hits the lever that they would have needed to have found to open the secret door. We actually had, in one of the games that we had, it was like a knack because everybody could take one knack and we had these different weird knacks. And one of them was called Blunder About. And you could just clarify, I'm going to blunder about. You could literally stumble into the solution of a problem. You know, much as you like to give them a cryptographic puzzle that requires lots of thinking and lots of puzzle solving, that's going to take all your game at that point to solve that puzzle. If you're taking you, the GM, three or four hours to come up with the puzzle to throw at them, it will take them three to four hours to solve that puzzle. Oh, no, John, yeah. you can come up with a puzzle. It takes you five minutes. It takes them six hours to solve because it's easy when you know the answer. Yep. You could be pulling on some piece of knowledge that they all know, but they don't think to come up with it because perhaps the clue you gave them wasn't good enough or perhaps they weren't thinking in the same line that you were thinking and they go on a different tangent completely. Or as I have demonstrated many times in this podcast, I know things that my other two fellows in this podcast have no clue about. <laughs> Right, that's true. <laughs> that's true, John. That's true. You 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 win the award for nerdiest podcast. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's from yeah. being it's being almost fifty years old, being a child of the TV. You know, so I have all this background knowledge, and I've actually read a lot. So, I you know, I have all this stuff in my head, and I know I can probably make a clue that I think in my current play group. One person might even might have a chance of actually solving, but it would take him all game to solve it. Right. I, I read a lot of books on medical stuff, you know, like how the brain works and how and in my group, I'm the only one like that. So I could make clues on that and nobody would ever get them. The important thing here is not to impress on the characters how smart the GM is. Right. It's to let the players see how great their own characters are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you can do a puzzle says make sure that there's appropriate skill checks for the characters that are there to defeat it. And also make sure that you set a time limit so that you don't have these 
poor players sitting there for hours trying to figure it out where you're just saying, you know, if you just thought a little bit more, you'd figure it out. I am terribly guilty of this. If any of my old players have listened to this, I used to look at them and I say, well, it's intuitively obvious. I'm surprised they get tarred and feathered by these people. <laughs> right. I, I think we've all done it. I did it in one of my adventures, too, and I was like, oh, man, I feel like crap now. And if you find yourself in that situation, remember, you're the GM. You can create something to happen that'll solve the problem. They can't get through the door. Bzz, someone's coming through the other way. What luck. Right. You don't have to just let a problem like a puzzle keep you from doing something. There are always solutions. You're listening to the Fringeworthy Podcast. How about knowing your PCs and your players? Yeah, that's really important. If you're starting out with a campaign with, with folks you've... Uh, met online and so forth, you're really going to need a couple of sessions getting to know them. I would not even start your campaign until you play a couple of one shots with them. Just figure out how they play the game. Then you can start the campaign, maybe even with the characters they've created or maybe have them start new characters at that point. But yeah, you really get need to know your players to figure out what they like to play. And if you don't give them what they like to play, your group won't last very long. And you know what I think a really great adventure to start characters out on or start players out on, or either way, Zombie Apocalypse. I think Zombie Apocalypse is one of the best types of adventure scenarios for one-shots, you know, because generally you don't survive those. But they also push you to the limit, and you can really see how people react and how they play. I think it really gives you good insight. The Zombie Apocalypse, if done properly, it should be a TPK most of the time. That's the whole point. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know what TPK stands for, it stands for Total Player Kill. No, no, or it to- means total, total party. party kill. We don't kill our players, John. We we're trying to bring in new players. <laughs> That's only if you're playing with real zombies. Bruce said total party kill, yeah. Thank you, John. John, John was thinking about the time he invited real zombies to the game. and. <laughs> But we also have to step this up to knowing the characters. The game master should have a copy of every every character that he takes home with him at the end of every session. Then that way, when he's making his adventure, he can look over the character and see what the characters are capable of, see what they have, see what can be brought out to make the adventure better, and, and how he can spotlight one character over another from time to time. You know, Sort of make it, as we used to like to call it, it's someone else's comic or it's someone's comic. So, for example, if you're playing Zart the Destroyer or whatever, you know, this could be Zart's comic. But then next week it might be Talon's comic. It doesn't hurt to have one of the players shine from time to time, uh, especially if the player is a little shy or doesn't really play to his full potential and you want to bring it out. You can have his character become the most important character for that adventure. Every character gets a chance to shine and gets a chance to the limelight. But don't be too obvious about it. Sometimes people will go, okay, it's Bruce's turn to shine this time. Sometimes you let two characters share in that spotlight. Don't use this technique. Oh, John's character hasn't had much spotlight. Okay, I that tells John that he's now the party leader. Oh, yeah. John's a total introvert. And he's like, what? No, I don't want to be. And he spends the rest of the, the mission asking everybody else's opinion about what to do next. 
Oh yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't saying that. I was saying yeah, like, yeah. for example, let's say your character is a mechanic, and that's your big thing. Maybe uh, to make him the star, you wind up on a car wars world. Maybe it was a problem portal, and you can't get back. You know, you're stuck there for say for an un, you know an unknown period of time. You never uh, know how long you're going to be stuck on those worlds where the portals are delayed. People right. have this idea that that they're going to know when they go through how long it is. <laughs> You should they always don't. assume it's forever. Right. <laughs> or at least at the end of the adventure. So I'm thinking, you know, you're in this Car Wars world. You don't have any of the money there, you know, because they trade in, I don't know, bits of metal or whatever, some kind of crazy. Petroleum. Okay, it's petroleum. There you go. Which is something you probably don't have, or you might have as much as in your car, but that's not a lot. So your mechanic all of a sudden becomes your income. So you haven't made this person the star. But he's going to become the star regardless because he's going to have to. But you want to play to his strength. You want to play to the the kind of situation that that character could shine in. Right. Without violating the character's personality. Correct. So you can can start out with him being the star just in that scenario and move on to to another character who hasn't really had much limelight. Someone who drives really well and has been just like, you know, been the party's chauffeur up to this point. All of a sudden, he's now a rock star. Because he's in a world where being a good driver is everything. You have to take a little time to think about it, but you really do have to have a copy of the character and, and know what these characters are capable of. That does behoove you as a player to make characters that are more than just a piece of paper. There's a big temptation to make Gun Bunny number 25. And as much as you like playing Gun Bunny number 25... He's just the same as Gun Bunny number 24, 23, and ones before him. Other than he now uses a classic, a, a Kalashnikov instead of an M16. Because Fringeworthy is a game about real people who have been plucked off the street from just about any background. The chances of your gun-toting, you know, survivalist from the Deep South becoming a, a Fringeworthy is fairly limited. But yeah, it does happen. But more often than not, it's the person probably more like you who's just been picked off the street and Tony's fringe-worthy. Really, it behooves, in this game, to really create realistic characters. Create people. Not characters, really. Create people. Give them backgrounds. Give them family. Most of these people are not, you know, are not homeless people living on the street with, with no loved ones. They have a family. They may even be married and have children. Even if they don't have anybody, as soon as they find out that you're fringe-worthy and you got all that money coming in from IDET, all of a sudden you're going to have relatives you didn't know you had. That's right. Hmm. right. Long-lost relatives. And, One and a, a smart player will write that down on the sheet before the GM has a chance to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that we used to do, we'd make up characters and we'd say, all right, look, why don't you make up yourself, but – Make up yourself as if you did something that you maybe you wish you had done or the opportunity wasn't presented to you, but had it been, you would have done that. You know, so like I may have made up a character who had gone on to the university and, and studied uh, anthropology or something like that. So I was essentially playing myself as if I had gone to college and become like, you know, become a well-trained anthropologist. It's one way in the beginning if you want to, you know, develop a quite rounded character because anyone can play themselves. However, 
most of us who, who play role playing is generally we're not playing adventurer type people or else we wouldn't be playing probably wouldn't be playing games to be going out and having adventures yeah. so you know just just try and you know extrapolate yourself into some kind of career or training that would fit you on some kind of adventuring role and, and look at some of our sample characters while Sayuri is not a uh, adventure type Gordon Conrad's background, he's a mechanic, but he's also a bicycle messenger, so he's used to rough and tumble. I disagree with you, John. You keep dissing Sayuri. Sayuri was willing to get out there and go onto the ice and spend months in close quarters with a bunch of rowdy uh, geology majors from various universities. Yeah. Japanese students, yeah. <laughs> well, not only that, but I'm sure there were also some other students from other universities uh, because her uncle is a very famous climatologist. It's an honor to work with him, and I'm sure he had interns of various kinds. So she's in this rather boys' club kind of environment. She may be quiet and demure, but she's got some real steel in her personality to be able to put up with the indignities that come along with that kind of a lifestyle. That's true, and she was willing to repel down into an ice fissure that could close up on her at any time. If you're playing an, a field climatologist who goes to Antarctica, you're a rough and tumble. Trust me. Yeah. One of the folks on, our, on the Frenchman Yahoo group is a person who winters over in Antarctica, and based on his stories... We've been actually kind to people about Hasumi Base up, to, up until now. <laughs> it is probably the most deadliest environment you will ever visit in your life is the Antarctic. With the exception of perhaps the underwater. Yes. You can easily die if you're not careful. She repels down her ice crevasse. They are known to open and close within hours sometime. Yeah, you're right. Bruce is right. She actually is fairly rough and tumble and fairly brave because uh, I wouldn't go down there. <laughs> Just in case you're listening to this podcast and you've never been to the French with the Yahoo group, you should check it out. And uh, don't forget to check out our, our message boards as well. We'll put links to both of those in the show notes. But one of the things that was discussed that the guy from Antarctica Ethan. Or works in it, Ethan, if something goes wrong in the wintertime when it's dark, they actually have to plan out an expedition out to fix whatever it is. It usually involves a team of guys. It takes days of planning. He said that's because you could be moving along outside of the base or whatever and take one wrong step and you're lost forever. They can't find you. You can't find your way back. You're done. So it is. It's it's quite dangerous down there. You know, you need to have a buddy system and you need to have a buddy for your buddy. One more thing about knowing your players and, and, and such. We're talking about the, the three by threes or, or however many numbers you want to do, but it's basically a character development device where you plot out three things about your character. You have three different headings for things about your character, and then you pick three different aspects of that. So, for example, three friends. So you would list three friends that your character has, and then three enemies which might be three people that they could be rivals, they could be potential enemies, they could be just straight up people that he's had encounters with in the past. It could be enemies that he you want him to have. And then you could have three places you want to go or three people you'd like to meet. Um, so then that way, when you fill that out and you give that to the game master, he has something to work with. Uh, for your character and for you as the player you can have a category three goals you'd like to achieve so then that way when he's making adventures he can work off of your list and make things happen and we've been playing with that and it is probably the greatest gaming tool we've ever worked with 
three things your character knows about the other character. And I've seen some systems where you trade your character, then you hand it off to someone else, and then they add something about themselves and your character. So you have that connection. You didn't meet in a bar. You've met on an adventure before. That's something you consider for later year games or campaigns. You're a brand new team, but you used to work with this guy over here on IDIT Team 24. You're now on IDIT Team 25 or 26, but you've worked with these other guys before in other situations. So you know how to, you have some background and you have some connection with with them. Besides just, boom, you've been tossed together and there you go. It's almost impossible for you to be playing a character in the middle campaign Unless you're playing a character who's just been discovered, in which case you have no levels as an explorer. If you're playing a character who is an experienced explorer in the middle campaign, it's a small place. You have run into these people before. You need to, in your own mind at least, create some initial impression of them, whether it's from what you saw on a video or talking to another team member who talked about that character. You should have some kind of a thing, you know, which at least gives you a starting point for your relationship to that, that character. Especially if you're playing 20 years down the road where you have Fringe Born. They grew up together. They went to school together. They've been to a dozen or so worlds before they even you know put on the uniform and joined an IDET team. Definitely right there, you would have actually have some history together at that point. Right, and not one of them should be named Wesley. <laughs> That's a good opportunity to bring in an alien character if you're talking about the middle campaign or where some experience has gone on. Because you can always tie in one of the other characters by saying that he's the guy that brought you in. And then you instantly have two characters that are friendly. So, do we have any other tips for them about plots? No, I think we about covered it. Sorry, I'm over here getting some tea because I'm fighting a cold. We have John over here on the ropes. He's going down. He's going to hold on ahead. The nostrils. His eyes are black and blue. <laughs> oh, sorry, guys. He's foaming at the mouth. I ran out of tea. <laughs> I don't think that's tea, John. I think that's Irish whiskey if you're foaming at the mouth. All right, so this has been uh, plots that worked or did not work. We've gone over a lot of different points. Hopefully they will help your campaign and help you, as, if you're a player, help you make better characters that, that work better to make plots move more smoothly and, and more fun. So until next week. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. Fully at